takes a while. Yeah, and it seems that we are now going live. So welcome to our community, uh, to the ones who are watching us live. And of course, also welcome to the ones that will be watching us after uh, the show itself and in the upcoming weeks. So welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast where we interview uh, the best tech leaders uh, in the world about how to scale companies from 3 million to 100 million uh, ARR in seven to 10 years. Uh, that, that's the big goal uh, of this vertical of the VC business. And typically how I like to call it the Champions League uh, of business. So today we have the pleasure of having with us uh, a very special guest in this series uh, with investors. Uh, we covered uh, how to scale up um, from, uh, from very different uh, perspectives. Um, so from the CEO perspective, from the chief product officer perspective, from the chief engineering uh, or the VP of engineering or the CTO perspective. And we also wanted to cover uh, how it looks like to scale up from the investor perspective. So we had opportunity to uh, also have access to strategic ventures, Faraday ventures, and we will keep um, hosting different investors in the upcoming shows. And today we have the pleasure to have Olaf uh, Jacobi, hopefully I'm pronouncing well uh, your name. Uh, managing partner at Capnamic Ventures. So thank you so much for for joining for joining us, uh, Olaf. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Awesome. So uh, let's go straight to the point. And uh, as usually in in the investment world, we also like to to hear uh, what is your elevator pitch. <laughs> My elevator pitch. <laughs> So my, my elevator pitch. So Capnamic Ventures is um, it's an early stage venture fund focusing on B2B tech companies. Uh, we are located in Cologne and in Berlin. We are predominantly investing in German speaking countries because we have our network here. Um, right. But um, we are also investing abroad. Um, a couple of our companies on the US, but uh, they have a um, some German, Austrian or Swiss, um, let's say roots. Um, we normally invest in uh, Series A, some seed and sometimes B round um, as an initial investment phase that we are following through through almost every um, uh, investment round. And um, our current fund is 115, 115 million. Um, we are normally investing one up to 3 million initially and then up to 8 million per company. Um, 10 people in the team, um, three general managers, Christian York and myself, and um, and then um, eight people in the investment team. So we bring a lot of um, brain power onto the table, and uh, with this brain power, we're supporting our portfolio companies. That's awesome. Is there any specific vertical that you also enjoy to invest the most, or uh, are you sector agnostic? Well, um, normally um, we are sector agnostic. We um, we like to invest in things we do understand. Um, there are some verticals uh, we don't understand and uh, that's uh, rather tough to invest in. Um, so, but um, no, um, we're focusing on enterprise software, B2B SaaS, this is one investment thesis. Um, and the other one, we call it enabling technology. Um, this is really, um, these are deep tech startups where you really have to open up the hood in order to, to see and to understand the technology. So it's not necessarily 
the application which uh, which has been used by enterprise users it's more as i've said enabling technology digital infrastructure got it sounds perfect uh i always like to kind of uh, kick off the show uh in in the investment version uh, asking you if there is any particular story any kind of uh portfolio company that you really needed to, um, how can I say, fight a lot and in order to, to let them get in. So we have a lot of stories of founders who kind of knock off the, on the door of 100, 150 uh, VCs across the world pitching their ideas. And finally, at the, at, at the door 151, they finally find out the VC who would give them an opportunity and who sees the opportunity. Uh, but I would say that uh, in, in the current moment, especially in Europe, I think that we we have more um, we have more money than uh, projects available, uh, or the deal flow is can be uh, smaller than than the the liquidity in in the markets. In that sense, VCs also need to battle again with each other to kind of um, help a team to go to the next stage and to be part of the journey, uh, let's say. Do you have any, any of those stories or usually uh, Capnemic is, is, is always the, 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 the choice for, for the founders to have, them, to have you around? <laughs> <laughs> it would be great if I can see, well, it's always the choice. Um, um, we, we try to do our best um, to be the go-to guys and, and um, the choice for, for founders. But uh, let me answer the question um, uh, indirectly. Um, Got it. So I'm in this startup ecosystem now since 1999, uh, when I um, joined my first startup, uh, which... Um, uh, we brought public, so we made an IPO. Um, and um, um, after this startup, I've done two other um, tech startups, one trade sale, one startup is still alive. So um, I entered this industry since 1999 now, and uh, this industry and this ecosystem has been changed dramatically to the, posit to the positive side. And, um, and if we just look uh, into the tail mirror, um, and look back five years or 10 years, um, the, the investor network has been changed as well. So back in, let's say 2007, for example, there was a lack of, uh, of venture capital um, across Germany, across Europe, maybe with an exception of, of the UK. Um, and, but if we take Germany in particular, um, back in 2005, 2006, there was no seed money available. And that's why uh, the German government uh, set up the high-tech um, uh, state-owned um, seed investor. Um, because of this, more and more startups have been funded in a seed phase. And, and some other investors have, uh, were following this trend and uh, have really closed the seed money gap. Um, I would say this um, was solved back in 2010. Um, and then in the last years, more and more A-round investors um, were able to raise funds. Um, some A-round investors came from the Nordics, from, from the UK, focusing um, on, onto the German tech market. And, um, and you're right, um, we don't have such, a, let's say, A, a money or A-round money gap anymore. 
um, in Germany, Switzerland, Austria, and in other uh, European countries as well. Um, so now what we do see is more a gap or a lack in, in B rounds. Um, so German companies, uh, in order to raise a, a, a huge B round, um, still have to go abroad, whether to, um, to the UK or to the US. Um, of course, their um, growth money is available um, on a much larger scale there. Um, but you're right, um, good founders and good teams today, they have the choice. Um, so the market has been shifted, which is good, um, that in, in a way that a good founding team can really pick and choose the right investor um, and don't have to take the first investor who is able to jump and uh, to put money into the company, Correct. even though maybe there is no chemistry and there is no um, domain expertise at the, uh, at the investor side. So this is really a good trend. Does it mean we have more competition on interesting deals? Yes, that's, that's true. Um, but um, we, we do like the situation because uh, uh, from a macro perspective, it's good for the industry. Absolutely, and also the opportunity to see uh, more co-investments uh, happening and leveling up the knowledge also across the industry uh, in Europe and hopefully Campanemic also uh, helping the, the portfolio of investors that are investing in the company to raise their standards and, and vice versa, um, So which, which is uh, definitely very healthy. Awesome. And also leveraging your experience as an operator uh, in the past and yourself as a serial entrepreneur, uh, and uh, running your company uh, as well. There are a set of habits that we like to discuss a lot during those uh, shows, which are the Rockefeller habits. For the ones who are joining for the first time, uh, those are the habits that uh, were put in place by John Rockefeller, one of the most famous and successful businessmen in the history of, uh, of the United States. Those are 10 very basic principles that usually when we tend to, do, to go through the checklist, and you can do it online going to scaleupvalley.com and going through the blog or just Google it, 10 Rockefeller Abbott, Scale Up Valley, and you'll find out those, those 10. And uh, when you start reading them, you, you might say, oh, this, this seems very simple. For instance, the first one is um, to have an healthy and aligned uh, team. And the, uh, a team where you can have constructive debates where you meet regularly, where all of you are trying to learn and to learn quicker than, than the pace of the company. Uh, but usually those habits are also very difficult to, to not, or are very simple to not apply them and to, to forget about them. So starting by, by the first one, one of the things that I've been observing uh, working with uh, multiple CEOs is that sometimes it's very difficult, especially from seed to series A and sometimes from series A to series B, when they already have proven the business model and they start scaling in a much more um, competitive way or in a much faster pace, uh, that they are not anymore the ones who are executing things. So they need to have a team in place and their success would be made by the success of the members of the team and of the collective team uh, as a whole. And another thing that is very difficult is that uh, this team needs to be 
kind of validated every single quarter. So you need to do uh, small changes in the team in order to allow the team to keep growing to the next stage. And you need to think about the org structure of that leadership team. Uh, do you see this happening uh, across your portfolio and from your experience, how to go from leadership team 1.0 to leadership team 2.0, or even going from the seed to series A or pre-seed to seed from a founding team to a leadership team, which are also very different concepts. So what's your experience in this particular space of setting up the right team for the right growth stage? Yeah. Well, this is a very complex question and um, um, we could fill maybe hours. Um, right with a discussion or with, with, with even one answer uh, um, to this topic. Um, first of all, um, the Rockefeller habits, they were new to me. Um, so I checked your website, I read the uh, Rockefeller habits and um, um, well, most of them, I, I, I totally um, um, I agree on it. Coming back to, to the first one, it's about the team. Well, this is one of the most, um, ask questions is it the team or is, is it the idea um so what what's more important and uh, honestly uh, in my in my early days i thought it's the idea it's the technology uh, and i changed my mind maybe 15 years ago um and it's only the team a good team <laughs> a good team is agile is flexible is able to pivot um, um, and and most importantly is able to attract the best talents and that is all about um, from a ceo perspective there are two main phases in in the life cycle of a company of a startup the first phase is a ceo and his team founding team they have to build the best product with the best technology they can imagine. So this is the seed phase. After they got an A round and they got money to really build the organization, um, the, the focus has to shift. Then the CEO has one core task and one core goal to build the best organization in order to sell this perfect product. It's a little bit abstract, but these are the main two phases and there are some micro phases, sure. But at first build the best product and then if, before you get, you know, get out of the blocks and hit the ground running and then sell, every, uh, sell the product and, uh, and expand, get the right people together. I think there's a um, um, famous book from James Collins, um, Build to Last. And um, there's one punchline um, before you start the engine or before you um, start the bus, get the right people onto this bus. Um, yeah. So in particular, we have seen one, you know, single founders. We have seen founding team with two founders, up to six founders. But I would say more or less, there is no team, no founding team with, with, which is really complete. Uh, a lot of founders, they, they come from the university, they are technical founders. Um, so where's the biggest gap in sales? Uh, enterprise sales, for example, you can't study, you have to learn it. Um, you have to do it uh, or you, you have to earn the t-shirt. Uh, and that's why, especially in sales, 
this is one of the biggest um, challenges to get the right people into the team, into the founding team who are able to, to scale a sales organization. At first, what you have described uh, with the, the team um, or uh, leading team 1.0, the founder is responsible for sales in order to validate the product, the product market fit. But once the product market fit is there and fresh money is on the bank account, then you want to make sure that um, there is no learning curve. Um, and therefore, you, especially in sales, you, you, you need experience, uh, exp yeah, very experienced guys. So th that's one of the bottlenecks that you see happening again and again on building the leadership team to pull Series A or to have the best organization, using your uh, expression, the best organization possible. Yeah, you know, if we compare the German startup ecosystem and German tech startups with, for example, in the US-based startups. Yeah. The, the tech industry is uh, maybe three decades older or four decades older in the United States compared with, uh, with the German or with the Central European um, ecosystem and, and, and industry. That means there is there, the talents which are available, available in the US market when it comes down to product management, product marketing and sales are much more experienced compared with the talents available just Let's take only Germany. Why? Um, 20 years ago, um, there was only one IT, in this, uh, IT company, a big IT company, SAP. <laughs> so, so how many people are available or were available 10 years or 15 years ago with the experience of launching new software products internationally? Um, maybe a handful, maybe two handful. So this has changed because more and more people um, have joined um, the second, the third um, tech startup. So the these talent or this talent pool is growing, but nevertheless, compared with the United States, for example, um, it's much smaller. So um, yes, there's a lack um, to get very good, talented people with a lot of experience um, into young tech startups in Germany. Absolutely. Got it. And, and something that I think it's also interesting and to, to conclude this uh, the discussion of this debate, as you said, in, in a very brief and superficial way, because unfortunately we, we don't have uh, hours or, or days to discuss about it, uh, mm -hmm. but kind of having the minimal viable uh, conclusions uh, around those, this topic. And it's, it's also interesting to see that the, Sometimes there are members of the leadership team that are the right ones to help us go from two to five million or from five to 10 million, uh, but they might not be the right ones to go from 10 to 20. And sometimes, as I like to say, and it's something that we always try to do, which is to align life plans with business plans in the leadership team and across the company, it might also not be what what makes them wake up and come to work. So it was very funny to them to go from five to 10, but from 10 to 30, that's, that's not their, um, their, their, 
that's not what they like to do. Uh, and in, in that sense, uh, the CEO needs to be able to understand uh, that they might need a different person for the next chapter. And this is very, very difficult also because this person has fighted very in a very tough way to help the company to go to that uh, stage. And it might be very difficult and sometimes even not being grateful uh, for all the efforts and all the investment that they made in the company to get to this stage. So how do we help the, the CEO, and this is a lot of times the role where I'm in, to understand that they might need to take another tough decision. They need to take these tough decisions um, from, from the five to 10, from the 10 to 20, from the 20 to, to 50, or from the 50 to 100 million. Yeah, um, there's no silver bullet, first of all. <laughs> um, I have seen entrepreneurs, CEOs, which, which I've invested in, um, and they made it from the pre-seed to 500 um, million, you know, valuation, D round, 300, 400 people. Is this normal no it's it's an exception but it's possible um and then i've i've, I've seen organizations um young teams after after the a round they said well you know more, i'm more the specialist um um i like to build products but i'm not really good into building the entire organization let's get somebody else um onto the onto the helm um and um and, and I will become CPO, for example, as a founder. Got it. It, it really depends. It really depends on. And um, so I'm, I'm not a big soccer fan, but um, um, I think uh, with, with soccer and with, with a soccer team, um, we can explain this. If um, a soccer team is starting very successfully in the fifth or fourth league, um, whether in the UK or in Germany, and it's playing very well. And uh, so it makes the cut to the next league, to the third league, for example. This team, in order to survive, in order to be successful, even in the higher league, has to get other players um, into the team. Better players, more aggressive players, with be better, uh, better fitness levels and more experiences and so on and so forth. So, and then maybe this team after two years will make the cut to the, to the second league, second national league. Um, so, and then this team has to adapt, uh, get even better players, sometimes a different coach um, or supporting team and so on and so forth. So I think that's absolutely natural. If you grow as an organization and if you compete on a different level in order to, to, to be on eye level with your competitors, um, you have to change. And how can you do this? <clears throat> I think in a lot of cases, it's good if the founding team, CEO and so on and so forth, are spending a lot of time with other companies, with you know, companies one stage or two stages um, above them in order to understand what have they done, how did they adapt, um, 
what are best practices, what is not so good to do, and so on and so forth. Yeah. As, as an investor, we are more a sparring, a sparring partner, um, and we are supportive, and we are challenging um, decisions and, and, and strategies. Um, but um, the bottom line is that the entrepreneur, the owner of the company, the, the initial, um, you know, yeah, CEO and founding team, they have to, um, they have to feel it and they have to take the decision. Got it. Very good points and very good suggestion about uh, talking with another uh, founder. Sometimes it seems there is so many things going on on their own world uh, that they forget to, to change and, and to connect with the ones who are facing the same kind of issues or even better, who have faced the same issues uh, some months ago or, or some, yeah, some you know, years ago. This is one of, of, of our main task to connect young founders with very experienced founders um, not necessarily only successful founders um, there's a saying sometimes i have success sometimes i make uh, experience right. uh, so but this connection is very important and very fruitful for young founders to to exchange and to learn from um, from guys who um, who went down this road okay and uh, moving forward to the Rockefeller Abit uh, number two, uh, again, it's, it's super, super simple. Uh, assuming that in, in the Abit number one, uh, the Abit number one is in place, which means that we have a healthy underlined team, it's time to decide what will be the next big milestone, the next big camp to the Everest, to the big area audacious goal, also a, a concept of uh, Jim Collins. And uh, in order to get to the, to the next camp, um, sometimes there are, or uh, always there is uh, some critical decisions to, to make, which might be, especially in an enterprise and B2B space, what is the vertical that you will specialize on in the next uh, milestone? What are the geos that will be approaching? What kind of use cases? What would be our value proposition for this specific segment? What we need to improve in terms of product, in terms of customer success? So cross-functional topics that really help the company to focus on a specific uh, vertical and to let the company to also to specialize and differentiate themselves from another competitors in a, in, in a vertical or in a category uh, where the company can be global leader and the number one player in that specific um, category. And usually this is very, very difficult because the founders sometimes also come from um, a mindset of uh, fear uh, about they don't want so much to close verticals or to close geos as what they are trying to do scaling up is finding new avenues of growth. And it might be counterintuitive in terms of thought process to close some directions or to say, we will just uh, focus on this specific geo or in this specific vertical or this specific use cases. It creates a lot uh, of fear. Uh, how important uh, have you seen focus um, across, across your portfolio or where focus has been playing a very important role for companies to scale quickly? Oh, um, it was a long question. Um, I hope I did. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so it's really about the summarizing very quickly and sorry for that. It's how do we assure that we, again, we make the tough decisions and that we decide 
something very concrete to do in the next 12 uh, to 36 months, which mm -hmm. is a specific vertical or specific geos. So how do we get to those answers and how do we commit? I think it's even more important than to find yeah. those answers to commit to those decisions. Well, so how to get to the, to the decision? Well, I think this is very simple. Um, uh, you know, you're collecting data points <laughs> as in a normal decision. Um, and uh, data points are, you know, market size, um, product markets to particular, um, you know, uh, national markets or international markets, uh, availability of talent. You don't have the right talent or the right people together in order to conquer the US market, don't do it. Um, so money available, some markets are more, much more expensive to conquer than other markets. So there a variety of, of data points and um, which are important to take a decision. And especially in these, in, in these decision-making processes, an experienced investor is very, very important. So uh, when I reconsider um, my experiences as, an, as a CEO and, and founder of tech companies, well, some investors, they really helped me and other investors, they, they were a roadblock. Uh, if you haven't done it um, by yourself, it's tough to, um, to, um, to give it advices. Sure, you have best practices from other companies and you can exchange and then you have your own opinion built on experiences other people made. But um, I think this decision-making process, it's very important for young founders to have the right mix of advisors, to have taken the right decision which investor is sitting on the shareholders table and very important to have the right advisory board. Um, especially, you know, after the B round, when, when you really have a lot of money in the bank account and, um, and, and decisions are, have, are, you know, have more impact than the decisions in the, in the seed round. Um, um, money-wise, organization-wise, and so on and so forth. So then it's very important to have a challenging board with a lot of experienced um, people in order to, to make this decision-making process as professional as possible. At the end, the CEO and, and, and the founding team, they have to take the decision. But um, yeah, they need support and they have to get the best support they can imagine. And um, well, then the more the organization grows and the bigger the organization um, becomes, the, the more complicated and is to push a decision and maybe a strategy shift into the organization. Um, well, you know, we can look at some, some big corporates. Um, uh, every other year, there's a reorganization, but at the end, nothing happens because it's too big, <laughs> like a super, super tanker. And um, um, if, if you change the direction only for one year, there is no change in the direction. With a young tech startup, it's different. Yeah. 
Uh, and this can be very frustrating for a founder who has been there uh, since they were 10 or 15 or 20 people to <laughs> 200 or 250. Exactly, exactly. I think this is a learning for each young founder slash CEO that a company with five people or 10 people is easy to, you know, to manage, to organize easy in brackets. Right. Um, <laughs> but once you have a, an organization with more than 150, this is some kind of, of threshold, 150 people. Right. Um, well, you don't know the first name of each particular employee. You don't know if this um, 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 FTE has kids, has no kids, uh, sure. what is he doing? And so, so you have to change your management style and you have to rely on the second um, um, layer, even on the third layer. So, and therefore you need, you need to adapt and you need to push decisions into your organization in a different way compared with what you have done with 10 people. Very good points. Um, and yeah, we are getting closer to almost 35 minutes of, uh, of the show uh, and so much to, to be discussed. Uh, so I will maybe jump the Rockefeller habit number three, uh, which is uh, something also related with what we're just discussing, which is really assuring that execution happens. So if we, if we have the right team, if we have the right team focusing on the right big milestone for the quarter and for the year, uh, now it's time to making it happen. And that's what we were discussing here, how to make this happen. And of course, we need to have the dailies, the weeklies, the monthly the quarterlies and all the communication flowing as quickly as possible because as Olaf was saying we start to have many layers um, separating the leadership team from the bottom and we don't know any time uh, we don't know anymore the name of uh, a specific individual what is uh, his background the family friends etc etc what are their motivations their life plan looks like so it's, it gets more difficult to align and to get things uh, done. Uh, so we come to, to uh, a part of the show which is related with cash. We all know that cash is critical for a company uh, that is starting up and uh, scaling up uh, as well. Um, so there is a, a um, so in, in terms of, let's start there, in terms of, of cash, do you see any kind of mistakes happening again or again, and I will just kick off by saying that this is something that I see very difficult in terms of mindset going from a C to a Series A stage. At that time, you try to, you are in a search mode, which means that you need to conserve cash as much as possible as you do the experimentation because you don't know when finally it will click and the business model now is working and you can start optimizing the business model and preparing the business model to scale. So, but when you are fighting to be the first or to the number one in the category, time is more important than cash because if you are doing the right things, if you are getting to the milestones, cash is a very good investment in terms of return on investment. So it would be uh, easy to get the cash in. So then the difficult part is having the cash in, within the timing that you need in order to go to the next stage, which is being more aggressive or less aggressive, but it's execution. It's not about search um, anymore. And it might be very difficult for a founder who has been in search mode to move to execution mode, which is 
uh, it's not about conserving cash, but about how do we become the, the category leader and what, what is the plan to get there and what are the cash resources that we need to get there, which is a very difficult, different mindset than how do we conserve, how do we minimize costs until we find uh, the business model? Well, again, very complex question. And <laughs> let me, um, it wasn't a question, it was an observation and um, um, I, I need to underline this. Um, different stages, different phases uh, of a company are requiring different behaviors in terms of cash. Yeah. Coming back to my, to my statement, there are two main phases in the life of a CEO or of a founder. First, build the best product you can imagine, um, which is stuff that matters, problem solving, um, market fit, product market fit is there. And then you are starting to build the organization into scale. I would say in the first phase, when you build the product, this is the seed phase somehow, maybe a little bit longer, um, you really have to take care of your cash. Um, um, product development uh, doesn't scale with people, not linear. So 10 billion developers can make a better job than 200 developers, which are average. Uh, we, know, we all know this. But once you have this product ready and you are raising money um, and you're getting to a maybe 10 million A round, you have to change the behavior. That doesn't mean that you spend um, um, the, the money for new company cars or parties. No, but now you have to really spend the money and, um, and build the organization and, and get sometimes very expensive people onto board, uh, on, um, yeah, on board. And um, so this, this is a paradigm shift um, and it's, it's tough and a good investor is supporting the team to enable this paradigm shift and this shift in the mindset as well from um, very cost-saving behavior, um, don't get diluted too much in the, in the first phase to, okay, now we really have to spend because um, we have the ammunition, the product, uh, now we have to conquer the market um, and that means spend money. Spending money um, in order to scale means you are running, you're really running um, towards the cash out wall. Um, again, in this situation, um, the investors are very important to, to give the founding team and the CEO the confidence to do this. But, and this is um, based on my entrepreneurial experience, try to be independent and to stay independent. Uh, there's a contradiction uh, because you're not profitable. So you are somehow dependent um, as, a, as a young tech startup from investors. But don't lean back and say, well, okay, more money will come from my current investors. Um, as, as a scaling tech startup, fundraising never ends. Um, investors' relation with new investors, it will never end. So... On one hand side, yes, you have to get the confidence and, and, uh, and the backing from your current investors. On the other hand side, 
um, this is a recommendation to all founders there, um, stay independent and, um, um, and don't rely too much on the current investors. Very good points uh, again. And we, we get to the end of the show now. I know that you also have a, um, a flight to, to pick later today. And if you would have the opportunity to come back to not to 1999, but uh, to the beginning of your investment uh, career uh, mm-hmm. when you have set it up your own funds, Capnamic Ventures, what, what advice uh, would you give yourself? Um, well, uh, first of all, um, I, I did not found um, um, Capnamic Ventures. Um, Capnamic Ventures was founded from, um, by Jörg and by Christian. So I, um, we, joined for we, the mistake. Uh, we joined forces uh, end of 2015 before we, uh, we raised the big fund. But um, hmm, my advice is... So from, coming from back VC, to 2015. Yeah, from a VC perspective, I would say venture capital, it, the product is the team. And we, we are spending 100% focus on building the best team, investment team um, we can imagine, because that's, that's our product. Um, the chemistry, the network, smartness, intelligent, everything. So we don't, we don't have software, we don't have uh, hardware, the people are the product. Um, and, um, and this is the only advice I would give to myself um, get the best people onto uh, onto the bus from investor point of view. Very good point. Which of, yeah, go ahead. As a as a startup founder, hmm, um, it's more complex. <laughs> <laughs> as a startup founder, because well, I would say build stuff that matters. Sometimes um, I've seen founders and you know uh, and even my, myself, you know trying to, to solve problems which doesn't exist, um, or which don't exist. Um, so double check, is it really stuff that matters? Um, is it problem solving? And, um, and in terms of sales, because sales is in most of the cases, the make or break. Um, there's a nice analogy, um, painkiller pain and vitamins. Maybe mm-hmm. you know this? Yep. Um, it's easier to sell painkiller, but the market for vitamins, uh, vitamins are way bigger. Um, so think about, about your go-to-market strategy, about the, the sales strategy, how, how to sell your product. Um, my second startup was an IT security startup. It was back in 2002, um, which we successfully sold in 2004 to a U.S a big competitor, it was a nice exit. This was the easiest sale ever. Um, why? It's an insurance sale. Uh, you go to a big corporate and say, well, you know, this is the latest um, um, stuff in IT security. You better get this. Uh, if something happened and you didn't buy this, maybe you will get fired. So we, we never told uh, the, the, the CIO something like this, but in the back of his mind or her mind, um, uh, this was the message. So this is the second, I would say, advice when I look into my tail, tail mirror. Um, do you want to say, uh, sell painkillers 
or vitamins. And again, I, and I'm stressing, stressing this point, get the right people onto the bus before you start the engine. Um, this is very, very important. And the, um, most of the founders um, are in a very, let's say, lucky situation that they can pick and choose the investor. Um, some years in the past, it wasn't pick and choose. Um, pick your investor um, wisely. Double check. Um, in, my, in my second startup, I haven't done this. I took an investor and um, he put more harm than money into the company. All very uh, good points. Uh, so I'm sure that if you if you want to reach out to Olaf after the show, is there any particular channel that uh, founders uh, should be using, Olaf? Yeah, um, please no snail mail. Um, <laughs> connect me on LinkedIn or uh, write me on Twitter. So my my my, my Twitter account is um, uh, Olaf Jacobi, O L A F J A C O B I. Um, or find me on LinkedIn and uh, just connect me. So we really appreciate your time, Olaf. You have shared a lot of value across all points and you even uh, were able to get my very tough questions today and sometimes uh, not, not so precise as I, as I wish it. So thank you so much for your patience and to- uh, Thanks for your question. Your and uh, yeah, so, um, that's your The Scale Up Valley uh, podcast, where we bring the best tech leaders to share their scaling up journeys with you and trying to compress the key lessons to scale a business from zero to 100 million ARR in seven to 10 years. You can listen to this show on YouTube, Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, iTunes, whatever is the channel that you appreciate the most with video or uh, with audio. So see you soon and thanks again for joining us.